A proper lady, just 19 years old, a 32-year-old prince who would be king. Their paths crossed and their destiny seemed set. Brought together in a fairy tale wedding watched by millions around the world, was this storybook romance all it was cracked up to be? This week's episode is Princess Diana, Part 1. Up, bump in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. You watch The Crown? Actually, you know what? I thought about after all of this research, I needed to watch The Crown. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I just watched a bunch of hours of documentaries <laughs> and it's just a fictional version. I've heard it's really well, a lot of it's fiction, but a lot of it is also accurate from what oh, I've yes. heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's based on the tapes that she did and, and interviews, obviously, and insider. I did watch the woman who plays Princess Diana mm-hmm. talking about how she perfected her speech, knowing that I was going to have to do Oh, and uh, do you feel confident? Uh, she said she worked with a vocal coach, and uh, that's not in our budget yet. Yeah, so okay. All right. Well, you know, we're just FYI. different levels of dedication, but that's okay. I we'll, will we'll say- talk about this off air. Sorry about that. Sorry for my lack of dedication. I will say for, I think we've talked about it before, solid year, around third grade, I spoke only in a British accent. So I'm preparing yourself. You're you're, you're prepared. It was a Liverpool accent. I was obsessed with the Beatles and John Lennon. So I try, you know, I tried it out back then. Um, I can speak, I think, in like an overly hilarious, you know, over, you know, as if someone was going to say, I'm from Texas. Yeah. That sort of version of it, but obviously for Diana, I will be trying my absolute best. <laughs> Some of the other characters, not so much. <laughs> I don't have a high regard for them. No, but I will say, in watching the National Geographic documentary, in her own words, and it's a very touching moment because her brother is speaking at her funeral and it's eulogy, but when he opened his mouth, I was like, this is the quintessential British, like rich, um, aristocrat voice is is how he sounds. It's I, fantastic. I was gonna say, I think it's called RP, and it's the royal pronunciation. There's proper speaking, and then different regional dialects. Mm. We that's another YouTube breakdown series we watch a lot in this house is accent breakdowns in movies, and obviously just general, you know, regional dialects mm-hmm. from different areas, but. There's a lot of, it's much like the U.S. Somebody from Minnesota doesn't sound like somebody from Texas right. and or Miami or Seattle or wherever. So Even in Texas, you can, true. a lot of people can tell where you're from based on how you speak. It is true, but yes. it is, that was a very touching speech, but we'll go into some of the behind the scenes in a future episode. Mm, yeah. It's a long one. There's a lot of info on this one. Oh, my God. I mean, there are podcasts that are solely dedicated to just the royal family and particularly princess die because it there is no shortage of information out there so on much. this subject to where it's one of those that at some point you have to say okay i can't and it's <laughs> going to be one of these things that in a, in a week i'm going to read something i'll be like damn it i wish that i had read this earlier mm-hmm. but 
I mean, the Googling is infinite when it comes to the information on her life, the royals in general. I've never been a huge royal person. Well, Mm -hmm. I mean, in my own right, I am. But as far as the the UK royals, my mother loves everything having to do with the royals. Okay. But now I do, too. After reading all this, it's fascinating. (laughs) It is. It is. I became, because I was, you know, 10-ish, 11 when she passed away. I guess I would have been almost just turned 11. I was a freshman in college. I remember it very well. And I remember remember when it happened. I remember everybody was sad. I was sad by virtue of the Mm -hmm. world and my mom being sad. But now, as almost being her age when she passed Mm -hmm. away and reading about her life, and, you know, we were discussing her relationship with her kids and the humanity of her beyond just this face on a tea towel. She was such a deep person and she represented so much good. And then also how she kind of was thrust into Mm -hmm. all of this. You really have a ton of empathy for her. Reading about it, I'm now a diehard diehead. Big fan. Diehead all the way, all the way. Royal stuff is interesting. Big die fan. Because I think, I mean, I read, I and again, like you said, the Google results are endless. I typed in books about Princess Diana, mm-hmm. who's 47 oh, results. Eight, eight million. Yeah, it's <laughs> yes. insane how much has been uh, documented about her. But it is because, like you said, and I also didn't, I mean, I of course knew who she was and by virtue of the world being sad. I'm sure I was sad when she passed away. But knowing now... What I know, had I known then, I would have been devastated like so many hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of millions of people were because she I told you I was like I was surprised at how emotional I got watching the documentaries about her mm-hmm. because I didn't realize just how what a there are a few people in this world that can do what she did and make people feel the way she did. Mm-hmm. It was really a gift to to you know, just people to walk into a room and light it up and put everyone at ease. And she was really like a people's person, even though she was a lady and a princess and everything. But the relationship we, she had with her kids and just, I never knew how utterly miserable she was. Yeah. And, and you don't get a so life. Sad. Yeah. And I mean, it really was from kind of 16, but really 19 until her death. I mean, that is your whole life pretty much. That's it. This was it. And, you know, I mean, I didn't realize, as so many didn't until, you know, the Andrew Morton book came out in 92 about her life and everything, just how miserable she was. Mm-hmm. And um, it definitely makes me see everything through a different light. I'm also a diehard die, diehead now. And and we both watched the Meghan Markle Harry interview. Yes, and I'm very parallels. into that story right now, too. Yeah, a lot of parallels, too. Yes, yeah. So I'm uh, fully down the royal rabbit hole, which (laughs) is just laden with gems and jewels down here. So we've had a ton of suggestions. Mm -hmm. I mean, we couldn't even write everybody's names because Mm -hmm. (laughs) so many people have suggested this. Because there's so much interest right now in Meghan and Harry, but also the crown and just Princess Di in general. Everyone's always interested in her. So we decided to do it. I think it's going to be a three-parter, so um, yeah. well, it could have been a 23-parter, but we Seriously. narrowed it down. <laughs> <laughs> even even three parts, we were narrowing it down. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. Well, you oh my gosh, got Side a very note. special treat. Before we get into it, you got a very special treat that I, I know got you my, want to talk about. I <laughs> got my second COVID vaccine, but on the way, I stopped at the post office to check the box. In the post office box was 
a cassette tape of Simpsons Sing the Blues, which I talked about on the air that I had as a child and I lost and I could not find it. And it's not just a copy of Simpsons Sing the Blues. Amy and Kevin from True Crime Dumpster Podcast, this is Amy's childhood copy that is sun bleached by years that she left it in her car and That's played really it. That's really sweet. That's and so it is sweet. so kind. So thank you, Amy and Kevin from True Crime Dumpster. I really appreciate it. And I happen to have a cassette player in my house. I mean, it has this, the original, uh, you know, the little cassette. Where it had the paper. lyrics? Are there oh, it lyrics? Has the lyrics. Oh, yeah. Sim- Springfield stole soul stew, sibling rivalry. Look at all those idiots. Love to see you smile. <laughs> and the picture of the, the singers, the actors doing the oh, voices. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So this. Have you deep, listened? Deep, oh, yeah. Do the Bartman. Come on. Deep, deep Oh, trouble. Do the Bartman's a classic. Yeah. It's so classic. So this is so, I mean, I love it. I'm trying not to become, because you and I discuss how bizarre people are that are excessive collectors. And <laughs> yeah. There's a house, by the way, on for sale on White Rock Lake. It's $18 million, and there is a creepy, creepy Coca-Cola basement with a bowling oh. alley. Thought of oh, you. oh, uh, no, wait. I've seen a different one with a Coca-Cola thing. Coca-Cola. Too many. Too many. You know, you know, I've also said Coca-Cola is in my top three of creepiest <laughs> things to collect. I Precious don't know moments. why. <laughs> it's a delicious drink. Diet Coke is my life. But for some reason, the Coke memorabilia mm-hmm. gives me the heebie-jeebies and i can't pinpoint it but something about it freaks me out well this is a creepy coke basement and not in a fun way <laughs> like a fun 80s way <laughs> but i'm trying struggling very hard i've been addicted to ebay i haven't bought much i did buy my turnstiles billy joel record but there's tons of simpson stuff that i want to buy there's also tons of barbies that i used to own that i can mm. get that i had in like 1996 gymnast barbie and honestly, I've been looking at Princess Diana memorabilia from the 80s and oh, 90s. Oh, God. You can get shortbread tins, teacups. Uh, they have tea towels, all this. I'm try- I'm really trying not to. You got to ask yourself, who's going to get this when I kick it? You know? <laughs> the Sinisterhood Memorial Museum. <laughs> okay, okay. All the shit all that's right. in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then just a menagerie of whatever else we've collected along the years. All kinds of weird All shit of my, in this room. my old Burtsby's uh, chapstick. Right. We need display. a collection. You know how they make those things you can put the corks of a wine bottle in? We, uh-huh. We'll do that, but with your Burtsby's chapstick. <laughs> so we have the Sinisterhood Museum. That's the goal one day. Is so like it's a not- shot glass display, but it's just a little. <laughs> And we'll use your DNA to clone you and bring you back. That's the plan. I love that. Please. I'd like Uh, to be Walt Disney and my head is just (laughs) put in a jar or whatever they did with him. By the way, I know that's not true. So please don't. Oh, God. I can't take it. Please don't DM me. Uh, That's not true. Please don't DM us. Um, So, yeah. So I I appreciate that Simpsons sing the blues. That's amazing. I mean, if you have any Princess Diana stuff, please. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Here's where we start just... um, Asking for people to send us their personal belongings. Yes. If you could just send me something that means a lot to you, I don't care what it is, but I want to no. know you parted with it. So, if, if you could send a lock of your baby's hair <laughs> in an envelope to me personally, and I want to uh, know, I'm just going to keep it for myself. Yeah, I'll keep a baby book of everybody else's baby stuff. <laughs> God said every serial killer that's ever yeah. lived. This is like the Patreon special where that guy was saving driver's licenses. Oh Christ! Yes, yeah. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Diana Frances Spencer was born at home on July 1st, 1961, 
to her parents, John Spencer, and her mother, Frances Roche Spencer. The family was extraordinarily wealthy, the Spencers having first made their fortune from sheep farming in the 15th century. Centuries later, the fortune remained. They were aristocrats and frequently socialized with the royal family. In fact, the nine-bedroom mansion known as Park House, where Diana was born, was located on the Queen's grounds at Sandringham. Not royal, but in with the royals. Ran in the same social circle. Yeah. It's good enough for me. Hey, I think, really, in most situations, that's better because you don't have all the pressure of being the the real big celebrity, but you get all the perks. I like that. I like amenities. <laughs> yes. Diana had two older sisters, Sarah and Jane. In Diana, her true story in her own words, Diana said she always felt her parents were irritated to have her and would have preferred a son. Sadly, years before Diana was born, her mother had given birth to a son, John, who died as an infant. Diana was their fourth child, with baby brother Charles being born five years later. Diana's childhood was filled with wealth and privilege. Mary Clark, a former nanny for the children, said, Diana had a happy, secure childhood. From the moment I met her and worked with the family, I saw she was helpful, laughing, exuberant, loved by both her parents, and the apple of her father's eye. According to the Oprah magazine. However, despite the lavish upbringing, Diana described growing up to her close friend, Dr. James Colthurst, as a very unhappy childhood. Okay, first of all, I gotta collect myself. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I loved it. It's exactly what I thought it would sound like. <laughs> I just, much like when people hate on us for getting snow, I would challenge someone that's not from Texas to talk like me. Actually, I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend it. Don't do that. Yeah. To me, but... you don't have a, a country ridiculous accent. country act. No. <laughs> My God. I mean, Come to a family reunion, uh, you know, and then you'll hear some really, really thick ones. Yes, I'm I'm sure people across the pond are getting a very good laugh at all this, but we do our best. And I thought that was great. Thank you. And especially with Diana, my goal is not ever to mock her. I really did watch interviews with the woman on the crown. You're amazing. And heard her describe how she did the voice and also listened to a ton of tapes to try to do my best. She does have a very, she had a very distinct, like, Quiet and yes, and and kind of closed lipped way of speaking. Yeah, her chin tilted down, and the mm-hmm. woman on the crown said the end of her sentences would kind of go down. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, and she said, "All right." That was the word that the this All actress right. used to find the oh, voice. Oh, I like it. All right. In 1991, Diana participated in a series of secret interviews taped at Kensington Palace by Dr. Colthurst. Colthurst had been given questions to ask the princess by journalist Andrew Morton. Morton later turned the interviews into a book titled Diana, Her True Story. After her death, Morton published a revised version called Diana, Her True Story in Her Own Words. In 2017, National Geographic made a documentary using the same interviews titled Diana in Her Own Words. Prior to these interviews, the pain and suffering Diana experienced during childhood and beyond was not widely known. And these, so all of these sources are based on the Diana tapes or the Morton tapes. And from her perspective, at the time, she was totally undercover. The 
Buckingham Palace didn't know she was doing these. And did you see those interviews with Andrew Morton when the book came out mm-hmm. and people said, you're just trying to make mm-hmm. a buck off of this. You made it up. Who's your source? You're a liar. People really didn't know from what I could tell mm-hmm. that she was the source. Oh, <laughs> that yeah. Was coming from and her. And then after her death, he re-released it and he was like, uh, hey, bitches, here's my source. Mic drop. And everyone's like, oh, damn. Yeah. He knew the whole time. And yeah. the... There, I saw some articles in 2017 when the Nat Geo documentary came out that it was controversial because it was these tapes, but that there weren't secret discussions. She knew all oh, yeah. along she was on the on the record. She wanted to answer the questions. And the reason why they weren't having Andrew Morton come in is because into Kensington Palace where she was is because they didn't want anyone to see that she was talking to the press. No, yeah. She had this friend of hers, you know, act yeah. as a liaison. Yeah, she totally but, knew. It wasn't secret to her by any means. They and weren't I, secret recorded conversations or anything like that. No. And you and I, I, we always talk about there's three versions of the truth to everything is like one version, another person's version, and then the truth. And because we're covering her as a subject, I thought it was most fair to go on her version mm-hmm. of things. And we do have other sources and things, but any quotes from Diana, most of them come from the Morton tapes yes. and her version of it. Yes. Because I don't want someone speculating about someone's life when you have the person's opinion sure. of what happened. Yeah. And of course, you know, Prince Charles has written his own autobiographies and has his own account of how things happened. And he disagrees with a lot of, of, of this, but because this is about her and not mm-hmm. the Prince Charles trilogy, then, uh, but uh, you know, he also admitted to, it. I mean, he yeah, straight up in his autobiography was like, yeah, I was having an affair. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're diehard dieheads, not chuckheads. <laughs> Throughout her childhood, Diana said she felt different and detached from everyone. Her parents fought regularly, and she told Morton she remembered seeing her father slap her mother across the face while Diana hid behind her bedroom door. When Diana was seven, her parents divorced, after her mother fell in love with a wallpaper tycoon and left Diana's father to be with him. With her two older sisters away at boarding school, Diana looked after little Charles. Recalling the difficult time in an interview with the Sunday Times, Charles said, Our father was a quiet and constant source of love, but our mother wasn't cut out for maternity. Not her fault. She couldn't do it. She was in love with someone else, infatuated, really. Yeah, and there's different accounts of kind of how the mother was, um, you know, some say she was, it was her decision to leave. Others say, no, she was basically cut off from the family and Mm. the father wouldn't, you know, would only allow her to see the children at at certain times. In the custody battle, even, her own mom testified against her. Yeah. So I don't know if it was, I didn't really see anything, but it's just speculation that because she was in love with another man and made the decision Mm. to leave, that it was just so looked down upon that she kind Mm. of lost everything. And that's what Penny Jurner, who's a royal biographer who has a very bad Penny Jurner kind of accent, <laughs> she talked about at the time that you didn't divorce your spouse. Right. Mm-hmm. You just effed around and divorce was a very grave choice. And Diana even said when she went to school, she was the only kid with divorced parents. Mm-hmm. She said later, everybody's parents were divorced. But at that time, early on, it was thought of uh, just bang around on yeah. the side. Who cares? But she was the call of the wallpaper was too strong. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a good Spencer. print. Good print. After a grueling custody battle, John Spencer was granted permanent custody of the children. Charles said his sister felt abandoned by their mother. While she was packing her stuff to leave, she promised Diana she'd come back to see her. Diana used to wait on the doorstep for her, but she never came. In the documentary, Diana, in her own words, 
Diana recalls the sad times when they would go to visit their mother. At the end of every Saturday visit, their mother would begin to weep, telling them how much she didn't want them to leave the next day. As a nine-year-old, Diana said this was incredibly devastating. Because you feel like you're the reason your yeah. mom's sad. And she said that her mother cried all the time. That yes. it was just a very, um, I don't want to say nor- like normal to them thing that like, mommy's sad, you know, and mm-hmm. she was, and nine years old is so impressionable. That's, you know, like when you're really needing a, a mom and stuff and you're heading into, you know, preteen years and everything. And she was basically the caretaker for her little brother. Yes. Her two older sisters that could provide some guidance were away at school and they're just being shuffled back and forth between their parents' house. And Charles said he remembered, you know, they would ride on the train together by themselves, these two little kids, you know, back and forth to mom and dad's house. And he looked up to her and thought of her as, you know, a mother figure and everything. And it's so what a heartbreaking image to think of her sitting on the porch waiting for her mom. And again, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes with bitter divorced parents, you know, who's preventing who from seeing who or or what the story is. But it really doesn't matter when the biggest victim of all is a nine-year-old kid that isn't getting to see their parent. And it's not setting a, a great example for what a marriage should look like. Exactly, yeah. yeah. In 1970, Diana was sent to Riddlesworth, an all-girls boarding school located in the Norfolk countryside. She stayed there for three years before attending the West Heath boarding school for girls. And in her own words, Diana described herself as hopeless because she didn't excel at school like her younger brother, Charles. At 16, she eventually dropped out. She did say that she was shy, but tried to get along with some of the girls. Mm -hmm. And they had her run to the end of this long lane where it was kind of go down there and touch the wall and run back at night when everybody's supposed to be in bed. And she got busted and then her parents came and said, we didn't think you had it in you. Mm. We did not. We're not even mad. We're just surprised <laughs> what happened. But yeah, she was not. Uh, she was. She said she felt hopeless, useless, and almost it's sad to be in the shadow of your little brother. Yeah. And she also, she said, you know, feeling detached. She hated parties and her mm-hmm. parents loved parties, especially her dad just loved to throw these extravagant parties and she she hated it and everything. But even though she wasn't good at school, when she went away to school, she said she enjoyed it yeah. and she enjoyed the relationship she made and everything. And while she was very quiet but happy, she had like this really cheeky sense of humor mm-hmm. and, you know, and even uh, we'll talk about later, like when her kids come into play. But, you know, as adults, Harry and William have both said, like their mother had like this wicked sense of humor mm-hmm. that so many didn't see, you know, but at this age, she's still kind of like, she's playful. She's a kid. Mm-hmm. You know? And, but she did say, I just felt different. I just felt mm-hmm. like I was different and detached from everybody. And that's a weird premonition knowing the life that she then, very in short order, was thrust into. Yeah. Although she did not excel at academics, Diana was gifted both athletically and musically. She enjoyed skiing, swimming, tennis, playing the piano, and most of all, ballet. She was likable and had a wicked sense of humor. In the HBO documentary, Diana, Our Mother, Her Life and Legacy, friends that knew her as a teenager described her as warm, caring, funny, and full of life. Throughout her childhood and teenage years, Diana never had a boyfriend. However, even when she was just 13 years old, she knew she would marry someone in the public eye. 
She told journalist Andrew Morton, I knew somehow I had to keep myself very tidy for whatever was coming my way. At 13 to... And it, she thought just because by nature of who the family associated with that it was going to be a diplomat. You know, yes. I mean, they hung out with very wealthy, very aristocratic people. So she knew she was going to marry somebody that was uh, high society. But she said, I had no idea it would be the diplomat, you know, the, the biggest <laughs> one I, I could find. And it's, I think it's surprising, especially the age gap. You, you mm-hmm. may not expect that. But I think it was the florist for Jane's wedding. He said to her, mm-hmm. oh, is a wedding like this for you? And she said, oh, no, it's going to be the main cathedral. What was the bit? I can't remember the cathedral. We'll talk about it later. But the, or Westminster bus. Abbey. Yeah. She said yeah. it's Westminster Abbey or bus. Kind yeah. Of. And one of those. Did he, did she really say that? I don't know. But she did say she had this premonition. Yeah. Feeling. She knew Just that some stay tidy. Mm-hmm. And she also said she never had a boyfriend because she just didn't have time for it. She wasn't really mm-hmm. she, she didn't care. In 1975, Diana's grandfather died, making her own father the 8th Earl Spencer. It was then that Diana was bestowed the title of Lady. According to Diana, the People's Princess, the first time Diana met Prince Charles was two years later in November of 1977. She was 16 and he was 29. The Prince of Wales, and heir to the British throne, had been seeing Diana's sister, Sarah, at the time, but soon became more interested in Diana. On the Morton tapes... Diana remembers being confused, saying, Why would anyone like him be interested in me? She described herself at the time as podgy, fat, and unladylike, but she said she made a lot of noise and he liked that. Sarah, you would think, would have been upset about this, but she kind of went on the record saying, I introduced him. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm Cupid, you know, and then she went on to marry like a baron or or somebody that was, Mm -hmm. you know, so, I mean, it, it all worked out fine, but. Yeah, I mean, they all, I think, I don't even, never saw it was even romantic, because you'd be like, well, my sister dated yeah. him, do I want to get involved? But I think it was all just appearances. Well, she said her in her, Diana, in her own words in the book, she said her sister was all over him like a bad rash, mm-hmm. and Diana thought, well, that's kind of forward, and she was on the side making wisecracks. Highly, I relate to Diana a lot. <laughs> she, first of all, she was not, she thinks she was pudgy. Or, no, not you know, at and things. But, I mean, being the not, I'm the little sister, the mouthy little sister, and she's, the picture they use for this story, she's wearing overalls, she's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, slouching up next to this barn door, and she said, yeah, she's kind of joking around and throwing things out there, thinking, he's never going to like me, I'm just going to say stuff. Meanwhile, her sister was kind of trying mm-hmm. to entice him, and he thought, man, get out, it's like a fairy tale, right? It's, get out of the way, I want that one, I want yeah. the funny one in the, the overalls. Well, and you're a lady. Yes. We call you Lady Heather. Lady Heather. That is my, uh, you are Her Royal Highness Judge Christie. I'm Lady Heather. Thank you. That's very nice. Morton writes how Diana's first impression upon meeting Prince Charles was, God, what a sad man. When asked later what his first impression was of her, Charles called Diana jolly, bouncy, and full of life. Remarkably, the two did not see one another again for the next three years. After leaving school, Diana lived in a flat with three best friends in South Kensington and worked part-time at a nursery school and as a nanny, according to Diana, her true story in her own words. She said these were some of her best years where she would laugh her head off with, My girls. Yeah, she said that 
she just loved it. She loved mm-hmm. having roommates and it was a flat that her father had bought for her in Kensington and she didn't need to have roommates. They were mm-hmm. very wealthy, but I read an article that said all of and her friends too that lived there were all, you know, wealthy and everything too. That none of them needed jobs, but it was kind of this way of life where they got to work in these jobs that suited their personalities. They didn't need the money, but it was just yeah. a way to like do things and everything and where they felt felt like they were kind of um, working girls without really needing to bring in the dough. This is a TV show I would watch. It's yeah. Sex in the City, but Princess Diana's early years, hanging oh, out with her gal pr- pals. Love would it. Would totally watch this. The yes. crown is focusing on the wrong part. <laughs> <laughs> in 1980, Lady Di and Prince Charles were both invited to stay at a mutual friend's home. It was here they reconnected, and a whirlwind courtship ensued. Diana was seen by the royals as a perfect match for Charles. According to the National Geographic documentary, Diana was considered lower liability because she was young and had less baggage than other potential wives. Her young age also made her ideal for childbearing. Her father and doctors even vouched for her virginity, according to United Press International. Her uncle, Lord Fermoy, told the press, I can assure you she has never had a lover. As quoted in Diana, in her own words. Well, that's yikes. Oh, yikesy, yikes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that makes me, that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Much like a Coca-Cola Classic collection, that gives yes. me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> I would like to believe, and to, and I will die believing this, that my uncle has thought about my virginity zero times. <laughs> I... Would, uh, yeah, I'd also like to believe that. Yeah. And I can guarantee you that that's the case. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, this is, I get it. It's for royal purposes. I also looked up why Charles didn't marry Camilla or what. And they also talked about in some of the documentaries, some of the other women that were contenders and some of them were closer to Charles's age, Mm -hmm. but then it came out that she had a boyfriend and used to date this person, and God forbid, the penis has touched her in some part of her body. So that's... Well, they also didn't want uh, exes contacting tabloids Mm -hmm. with stories real or fake, but if they knew she never had a boyfriend, Mm -mm. she's never had sex, Mm -mm. and there's not a ton that, you know, somebody can say, but yeah, we'll get into Camilla some in this episode and then a lot more in in the next episode. But she, I think was 16 or 19 months older than Charles. So she, they were pretty much the same age, but Mm -hmm. they wanted someone significantly younger for him. And also somebody that was more higher up in Royal status, more in society status, more high society. Well, jokes on them, because now, spoiler alert, they're married now. Yeah, right. Everybody got what they wanted. Mm -hmm. God, but the idea to not just your uncle, but then the newspapers yeah. are talking about uh, your hymen. the world. The world God. is talking about your hymen, and it's a and it's one of the very first steps of getting into all this. I mean, it, it's about to get worse. Yeah. During their courtship, rumors swirled that Charles would soon propose. Almost immediately, the press became unbearable. Reporters hounded Diana day and night, followed her to her car, waited outside the school where she worked and called her flat at all hours of the night. In footage seen on the Nat Geo documentary, Diana always remained calm and collected, despite being admittedly terrified on the inside. You just want to go, bitch, get up off oh, of me. If dude. Somebody was in, but she's the nicest. So nice. So nice. So, I mean, just 
never breaks a sweat, looks composed, mm-hmm. I would be, yeah, I'd be. Hey, she's 19. Hitting somebody's car with an umbrella. Like, yeah, 19. I mean, the footage of the press is unbelievable. I mean, swore 30, 40 people outside her flat. She's trying to get in her car to go to her kindergarten teaching job. She can't they, open I mean, the door. there's camera. She can't even open the door. She's like, excuse me, excuse me, trying to, you know, I mean, she doesn't have security. There's no then, one there to help her. As a person who's dated someone, everyone's like, when are you going to get engaged? When are you going to get engaged? It's very stressful. But in this case, it's reporters in your face with yeah. cameras. When do you think he's going to do it? When do you think he's going to pop the question? And at some point, the family says, hey, buddy, you got to let her, let her know. Yeah. The media wasn't the only thing making Diana uncomfortable. While she and Prince Charles were visiting the royal family's manor at Bullhide, Camilla Parker Bowles, a longtime friend of Prince Charles, warned Diana. Don't pressure him into anything. According to Diana, her true story, in her own words. Diana was slightly confused as she realized that Camilla knew so much about what he was doing privately. I think that was your best one yet. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm really, <laughs> I'm trying to channel her. You're getting into it. You're, now you're I doing a great job. No, Diana, but I'm trying to channel her. <laughs> but you wouldn't you... Right. Antenna go up as a jealous person. Sure. <laughs> as a person who's constantly jealous. And she wasn't. And also, she's never had a boyfriend. So yeah. you don't know what is is and is not appropriate. But she said that there was a little too much Budinsky-ness with yes, Camilla. for sure. Yeah. And she, I mean, even if you've never had a boyfriend, you have a, a woman's instinct. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, oh, they seem oh. a little too touchy-feely they're talking a little too close they're yeah why does she why has she been telling me this and it also so just bizarre and brazen and just flexing nuts that camilla is like <laughs> constantly trying to befriend her and talk to her and like coach her and guide her and everything i mean lunch. it's keep your friends closer keep your your enemies oh, yeah. yeah keep your friends close keep your enemies closer type of thing and you know that, like, I'm 19. Mm-hmm. She's 32. Been to be 33, something yeah. close to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and she said she was terrified of her. She was very mm-hmm. intimidated by her. So, I mean, this poor girl is just, she's literally a girl. She's thrust into this. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really, much like Megan claims, had no idea what she was getting into. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I think Diana knew more than Megan because she was... Grown up in it. Yes. But even if you knew everything you still don't know any until you're in it and you have that press in your face and you're like i'm a virgin i've never had a boyfriend i'm about to marry uh the prince of wales Mm -hmm. it's a lot well and you have no leverage right she's Mm -hmm. 19 and ostensibly wants to marry him you know he will get into (laughs) whether he wants to marry her but you can't say hey i'm not gonna marry you if you don't stop talking to this woman because what's What's the answer? The answer is going to be, yeah. okay, well, we're not going to get married. I'll find somebody else. So yeah. you're it's a rock and a hard place. And also, if you have people around you going, that's just the way things are. Mm-hmm. People just, people bang around. That's what they do. Yes. Yeah, don't, I mean, and also, he's the prince. Don't question him. But you're mm-hmm. going to be queen someday. Don't, don't. Mm-hmm. It's like, shut your mouth. Do whatever they ask of you. You've got the throne, the crown, uh, you know, in in your sight. Yeah. After only 13 dates, Charles proposed to Diana on February 6, 1981. When he proposed, Diana initially thought he was joking, according to the Nat Geo doc. She laughed before saying, <laughs> Yeah, okay. 
Charles then told her, You do realize one day you'll be queen. Diana recalled that a voice inside her head said, You won't be queen, but you'll have a very tough role. She then declared to her new fiancé, I love you so much, I love you so much. He blandly replied, Whatever love means. Okay. That's his catchphrase. This is man's catchphrase. Here is where I just started... I I did not know a lot about Prince Charles. Uh-uh. <laughs> Your face looks like you sucked on a lemon. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, so do his. Yes. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a fan. Not a fan. You know, I get it. Our UK listeners, first of all, again, I'm an Anglophile. I love British stuff. My dream vacation is to go to London, Scotland, mm-hmm. Wales, Same. Ireland. I mean, way into it. We've got to visit Nessie. Going to go see the family plot. I got a lot to yeah. do in the UK. I'm a quarter Irish. There you go. There you go. Uh, we are with this, we're we're into it. I don't know what that but, what that has to do with anything. Nobody gets to shit. Now we know. Now we know. we'll put our DNA yes. results up. Yeah, on. you can check them out. But so I I you know it it's like in the U.S. Just because George W. Bush was our president and I'm using his book Decision Points to hold my laptop up right now doesn't mean we love George W. Bush. Nah. So it's a question to me as I as a leader. He's a leader of your country. Does everybody love him? Do they just grin and bear it because he's gonna be king? Maybe in theory, unless he you know lets William skip the line. So it's there's also cultural things you know between us and and I hate to besmirch a, a country and sure. you know i love the royals you were both way into it now but he's a dick man he's a dick a lot <laughs> of the seems time like it and maybe if you are fixing to be in charge of the whole uk kingdom you can be a dick that's your go for it that is what you get to do but a couple of things he says and and if you watch the interviews and she later gives a play-by-play on the interviews that she did and she said in no uncertain terms that fucked me up when he yeah. said that she said that, it traumatized me it's traumatic to have a person that you say, I love you so much, and they go, yeah, whatever, kid. <laughs> Fuck it. That's And maybe she was 19 and naive, and one would say, well, that's how it is, and there's not really love, and it's, but maybe hopefully with William and Kate, and definitely with yes. uh, Megan and Harry, they are really in love from all the photos you see. They, they genuinely seem to enjoy one another, but- just be a dick behind closed yeah. doors. He was that as well. Yeah, for sure. But openly in interviews, he almost- doesn't he doesn't have any chemistry no. and he seems to regard her frankly with disdain yes you know he seems very much uh there's no poker face as far as hiding no. this is a marriage of convenience because i need to have children with a young stallion wait stallions yes. are men right men a mare boy yeah, stallions are boys stallion is a, a man horse is a, a man a, a mare the horse is a man baby it's a, a mare i would say a a, a breeding yeah that's gal. how she's she's just a a, a figurehead you know i mean yeah. where he's yeah. boning camilla all the time probably mm-hmm. others as well that's mm-hmm. i mean every it's you know like an open secret that they're still a couple even though she is also married Mm-hmm. And this is just like, well, for appearances, we need you to marry this very attractive young thing that comes from a distinguished family. If you don't want to pretend like you love her to everyone, that's cool. But like, like you said, sell it. I mean, my God, how mortifying to know that millions of people are watching this and you're just like, ha ha ha. ha okay, yeah. I guess I guess my husband's just going to be really open about the fact that he doesn't love me he doesn't give a shit and it's almost a record scratch he says this stuff and you look at her face and yeah. she seems to say huh yeah what? yeah Wait, there are even interviews where they love. both kind of like 
are roasting each other in very low key ways. Proper jabs. Yes. The, the, which, you know what? Mad respect. Yeah. Because I'm full trash and I'm this son of a bitch. <laughs> There's something to be said for the United States Jerry Springer style, Dr. Phil, mm-hmm. people hollering at each other versus this very proper, oh, don't know if I love her. Yes. <laughs> All right. Which one is worse? Which one's more cutting? I don't know. They're the same. The one, I'll yeah. tell you. One of them's more skillful and is this way. It is. It's a sneaky way where you say, did you just say something very nice in your polished accent or was that you was a middle finger to me? That's okay, the cool, thing cool, cool, too. Cool, cool. To us, it doesn't sound as bad because of their accents, but to them, True. it's they hear themselves talk all the time. So their accents yeah. aren't cool to them. I don't That's know. True. Are they? I, I think it's the best accent. Oh, I do too. But if you talk like know. that. You don't hard, have an hard. accent. I'm. It's like a four-way tie between Scottish, Irish, English, and Australian. <laughs> Solid four-way tie for me for best well, accent. Well, when I do those, they all sound the same. So <laughs> I like to think I'm just taking all my favorite accents and blending them into one. It's a milkshake. It's an accent milkshake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Diana's friends asked if she was excited about being engaged. While Diana felt Charles was in love with her, she later recognized this was foolish immaturity. Reflecting in her true story, her own words, that it was like a call for duty, really. And that's exactly what it was. Yeah. They're trying to get her pumped up about it, and she sort of realized pretty quick. Yeah. Though the engagement wasn't public yet, Diana had no privacy whatsoever. The media was relentless, following her everywhere, day and night. Press members rented the flat across the street from hers, using cameras and binoculars to spy on her every move. Her family and friends were also hounded, with her flatmates being woken at all hours by the phone. On the tape secretly recorded at Kensington Palace, Dr. Colthorse asked Diana, Any chases involving the media? Diana replies, Oh, lots of them. Well, that's some sad foreshadowing. But, I mean, you see on the tapes, I mean, you see the footage that Mm -hmm. she's driving like trying to like you know get out of a parking spot and they're just running next to the car Mm -hmm. and run on motorcycles and and i mean it's terrifying Mm -hmm. she said she got really good at running red lights or going through them right as they turned so that they would get stuck behind her and she could try to get away they also said they chased her while she was on her bicycle yeah that it was just not you had you can't go i'm gonna go out for a run yeah no. Or I'm going to go out for a nice cycle today. No, you're not. Or even I'm going to sit in my own apartment and watch TV. Oh, who's that staring across the way with their binoculars? Like, Mm-mm. you you feel safe nowhere. Mm-mm. Diana was overwhelmed, but managed to continue taking everything in stride. However, during a time when support from her soon-to-be husband would have been welcomed, he was instead criticizing her appearance. The day after the two got engaged... Diana says Charles put his hand on her waistline and said, Oh, a bit chubby, aren't we? It was that day that Diana's years-long battle with bulimia began. And that's something that wasn't out until after the tapes and, and her talking openly about it. I had no idea even now about that. Not until I watched yeah. and read the book. Yes. Yeah, not until I got into the book. And she is very open with mm-hmm. Colthurst doing the interviews. I mean, they speak about it very openly it became something that was even open within the royal family too again mm-hmm. like charles infidelity is a very open secret as as was this as well but it was um as we will see um she says they said that my marriage was falling apart because of this but rather it was a symptom of how mm-hmm. miserable she was i mean you have 
all you're trying to do is impress your fiance, who is the Prince of Wales, not to mention mm-hmm. the world. And he tells you you're chubby. Yeah. After he said, well, whatever love means. I mean, you got to be feeling like the shitty, just shit on the bottom of a shoe. Yeah. And she throughout her life said, I just want to be loved. I want to be held. I want to be hugged. And I believe later in some in her future life, you know, she does find that eventually. But when you're 19 Mm -hmm. and you think, oh, this is going to be my husband. He'll love me. And not only does he apparently feel a little indifferent toward you. But then he's criticizing. Mm-hmm. And again, this is her version of it. This is from her. Sure. But also, uh, it was. it is not uh, untrue that she then became bulimic. And also, she said his infidelity really contributed it to oh, it as sure. well. Yeah. I mean, I've struggled with an eating disorder, and it was heavily, heavily triggered by a breakup mm-hmm. and that person dating someone else and me thinking, oh, my gosh, if I could just lose another five or ten pounds, you know, maybe then he'll pay attention mm-hmm. to me. And it's not. I mean, it's all symptomatic of the eating disorder but it can definitely be made worse absolutely diana's suspicions about charles and camilla continued to grow the two had been an item 10 years prior but diana suspected there were still feelings between the two not wanting to seem immature she tried to play it cool despite being filled with anxiety it didn't help when charles told diana he had been on the phone all night with camilla because she was scared of the paparazzi that were hanging around bullhide where she was staying When Diana asked how many were there, Charles replied, At least four. Meanwhile, over 30 paparazzi were outside Diana's door, snapping photos relentlessly. In addition to receiving no support from Charles, Diana also stated she received no support from the royal press, with them basically telling her, You're on your own. She said she never complained because she didn't feel like it was her place to do that. She didn't want to add Mm -hmm. more stress to his life. Mm-hmm. because she was a considerate person. She never complained at all about the media and what she was going through and what they were doing. And then he's up all on the phone all night with his with Camilla when she's just like, oh, um, that's sorry to hear that, okay. Just slapping the damn Yeah, face, for sure. And I mean, again, her saying she received no help from the royal press is, is her own words. Megan... And Harry are saying the same thing right now. And that is and we're saying why they the, had to like leave, the, basically. The press office within the royal family. Yes. Is what they were talking about. Yes. Yeah. The royals plan to make an official announcement of the engagement. According to Diana, her true story, at her flat the night before the announcement, the policeman assigned to protect Diana told her, I just want you to know this is your last night of freedom ever for the rest of your life. So make it the most of it. Diana said, it was like a sword went in my heart. I thought, God, and then sort of giggled like an immature girl. The engagement was announced to great fanfare on February 24th, 1981. The media filmed as Charles and Diana walked around the palace grounds together. When a reporter asked the couple if they were in love, Diana replied, Of course. But Charles once again said, Whatever in love means, of course it's your own interpretation. <laughs> he can't even be bothered to to pretend like i mean he it's like he's going out of his way to let them know nah this i don't even want to be doing this. it's like if you didn't want to be doing this then don't do it you know and my speculation is he knew camilla was watching and sure. wanted to say i'm oh no no of course not but again have the freaking respect of this mm-hmm. person who's giving their life up for you to just go mm-hmm yeah how hard is it to go yes yep. 
Just for sure. A three-letter word. Yeah, yeah. I would love for like, Prince Charles to say for show. <laughs> for some, just nod your head or just go, no. Like, I don't know, but not oh, whatever. Yeah. And he kind of laughs. And that's the time that, she, I mean, it's on the press. I mean, it's on camera yeah. that it happens. And you do see her face go, oh. Yeah, just drops. You feel so, That I think that's one reason I got so emotional watching these and it's not like I was sobbing I just felt so bad for Mm -hmm. her that you just see in her face especially as it goes on just I mean she just shrinks into almost nothing and Mm -hmm. the happiness is just drained from her until her kids come into the picture but you just think how lonely she must have been she already grew up Mm -hmm. feeling lonely and now she's in this world where she is even though she's constantly surrounded by people she feels utterly alone and Paul Burrell, who's the becomes their he was initially assigned to the Queen and then he goes off with Charles and Diana and then in the divorce Diana gets him. And he talks about how she was isolated and that even he said she had her friends, but that even her family, he said they weren't close and that she felt she couldn't reach out to them. Mm-hmm. And imagine that you're again, you're nineteen and you think, Okay, well at least I still have that and everyone says, Nope, you're a royal now. Sorry, we can't go against the crown. Yeah. And th- we we said that, you know, it was announced a great fanfare. The country went ballistic. I mean, uh-huh. and, you know, they interviewed just people that live there. And they said, when there's so much to be upset about around here, like this gives uh-huh. everyone hope. It's uh-huh. because, I mean, they don't know what's going on behind closed doors or anything. They just uh-huh. see this is a fairy tale. And yeah. it was uh, 1947 is when the queen got married. And so it was like one of the first weddings mm-hmm. since then. And she's so beautiful and young and she's got those big blue eyes and unemployment was super high mm-hmm. and everyone was bummed out. Interest rates were really high. And it the videos of people in the streets is gray and shitty. And they're yeah. like, it's great to have some cheer in our lives. So it really was bringing a lot to the people, I think, yes. according to you know what we saw, yeah. people's testimonial. Before the wedding could even happen. Diana's interpretation of the love between herself and Charles was crushed. A famous photo circulated of Diana in a red coat, sobbing as Charles boarded a plane to leave the country. While the press thought she was sad about her fiancé leaving, the truth was she had just confirmed that Charles was having an affair with Camilla. Yeah, he took a call and she Mm -hmm. decided to stick around and listen and it told her everything she needed to hear and he kind of said, don't be a child about this. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, he did not try and hide it. No, Mm-mm. he didn't. And I mean, he didn't knew. try to hide anything. It was kind of like, "This is what you're getting into. I am not mm-hmm. changing my life or what I was doing beforehand. You're just now a part of it. Deal mm-hmm. with it." And secretaries and butlers, who I mean, you you probably if you feel bad for the kid, right? You like her, and mm-hmm. you say, "Hey, you know, just so you know, FYI, this is going on. You might want to go check his." drawer i think he bought a watch for somebody mm-hmm. you'll see that there's a c engraved you know things yeah. like that or a bracelet or whatever just they kind of they nudged her in the right yes. direction when she got to respect that yeah charles and diana fought frequently but remained engaged as a result diana's bulimia got increasingly worse at her first wedding dress fitting diana had a 29 inch waist on the day of her wedding her waist measured 23.5 inches her unhappiness mounting, Diana told her sister she wanted to break it off. But according to Diana, her true story, her sisters told her it was too late, saying, Bad luck. Your face is on the tea towels. Tea towels weren't the only items featuring the couple's faces. The country was buzzing about the future royal wedding, and commemorative gifts lined the shelves of every store in the UK. 
it was estimated that local shopkeepers sold nearly 300 million pounds in souvenirs. Meanwhile, the wedding itself cost a cool 48 million at the time, around 137 million dollars today. That's I think there's are always arguments of why should this the country have to pay for these fancy weddings and does it really increase tourism and economists argue all the time of it does there's a honeymoon phase afterwards that people get really into it and they want to go to the London but you can't deny especially if you check eBay right now there was a lot of stuff sold with her face on it mm-hmm. and that's that's tough when you're 19 and think okay I'm an adult I have autonomous control in my life I'm gonna say no I'm not gonna marry this fucking guy and they say mm, they called her Dutch they're like bad luck Dutch. Mm-hmm. No, not getting out of it. Yeah. I mean, to call off your wedding as just a peasant is... <laughs> like myself or yourself. Is, is a is a, a difficult thing to do, to say the least. When this is... I mean, when your face is everywhere and you've got the weight of, oh my God, if I do this, I'm going to let literally the entire world down. Mm-hmm. You're... You're you're like oh, even though I don't want to do it, I don't have the support of even my family. Yeah, I guess I'll just suffer through it and hope it gets better. And she really did think it might get better. And you know, I mean, whether that's age or just optimism, she mm-hmm. went into it with some hope that just was crushed pretty much immediately. <laughs> I know, and you you see her face and yeah. on those towels and and they the way they put them side by side and they look so happy. And there's a shortbread tin that I'm. I, I you got your eye on it. Oh man! And they they do genuinely look happy, and that is a photograph. Now, having watched the same day, because the same outfits they're wearing, it's the engagement announcement outfit. She's got that really pretty blue dress mm-hmm. on with the neckerchief. That's the day that he was like, "Whatever love means." Mm-hmm. So it's but as a person, if you didn't catch that on TV back then, and we didn't have social media and the internet and seeing the reruns, so if you didn't catch that one, or or if you just were listening and passing, all you're seeing is these happy fairy tale things. That you would be shocked and taken aback. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it would let everyone down if you canceled. It's just so much pressure. Yeah. So much pressure on her for being only 19. And you also might think if you heard that, oh, he's just being cheeky. He's just, they're yeah. poking fun at each other, you know? And mm-hmm. perhaps at the, I mean, knowing everything you know that was going on behind the scenes, it's hard to think that that's what was really happening. And it even, not knowing what it what was going on at the time, she's still nineteen. That's yeah. poking on, and also the there's a huge disparity in power, and that's sure. And he's older, she's younger. He's the fixing to be king, and she's a lady. Mm-hmm. So you can't ask, hey, respect me. I mean, she yeah. tried. Yeah, yeah. The wedding of Lady Diana Spencer to Prince Charles was an international media event on Wednesday, July twenty ninth, nineteen eighty one. Spectators across the globe gathered around their TVs, and over 900,000 people lined the streets of central London, waiting for the event. As screaming fans waved to the future princess in a horse-drawn carriage accompanied by her very excited father, they had no idea that just hours prior, she had been binging and purging in what she described in the Nat Geo documentary as Bad fit of bulimia. Adding to the stress of the day, she believed that her husband, on the other hand, spent the night before the royal wedding with his mistress, Camilla, at Buckingham Palace, according to royal author Howard Hodgson's book, Charles, the Man Who Will Be King. In reflecting on the day to journalist Andrew Morton, Diana said, I think I was trying to pull it off. But then added, I think it was the worst day of my life. Heartbreaking. 
Mm. Especially and- when you're you're what's so powerful about the documentary and it's great if you haven't seen it go it's on disney plus go watch it you're watching this this footage and i mean in 81 i was three so of course i don't remember this but you see you know i mean hundreds of thousands of people sobbing just i mean you'd think that screaming oh my gosh it's like the most i mean there are people taking pictures like, please look this way. Oh, my God, it'll make my life like I mean, they're mm-hmm. hanging every their hat on this. Everything, you know, it's giving them hope. And she I mean, it's a literal fairy tale. She's in a horse drawn carriage, you know, covered. She's got this huge what it would have still considered one of the most uh, famous royal wedding dresses on, you know, mm-hmm. and you see this footage. And then the voiceover is. It was the worst day of my life. Just looking Mm -hmm. and you're like, imagine what she was feeling inside. You have 900,000 people cheering you on, looking at you. You should feel like the luckiest person in the world. And you are just, you've been up all night stuffing your face and throwing up because that's how you have control. And that's how you're releasing your emotions right now. And it's hard because her dad is in the carriage with her sweet old Earl Spencer. He's so excited. Beaming. He's waving and he's having a blast and he's nailing it with the wave. Yeah. And she's, you know, she always kind of dipped her chin down a little bit and she's smiling, but knowing the night before. And then also, so there's, of course, two or three different versions of what Charles did the night before. So, yeah. She believes, and one version is that he was with Camilla. Another one is that he just spent it in Buckingham Palace sobbing because he felt forced into hip, into it by his family, and he really didn't want to go through with it either. So at the end of the day, nobody's in a good mood no, about this No, and wedding. nobody spent the night before their wedding in the place that both physically and headspace you hope to, to be spending it. Yeah. 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 As the world watched... Diana walked down the aisle in her $115,000 gown, escorted by her dad. She spotted Camilla in the crowd and thought to herself, That's all over with. Believing that everything would be better after the wedding. Diana was truly in love with Charles at that time, saying in Diana her true story. I remember being so enamored with my husband. I couldn't take my eyes off him. After the wedding at Buckingham Palace, the pair did a photo shoot where they appeared to be smiling and in love. Then at the official wedding breakfast, though they sat beside each other, the 32-year-old groom and his 19-year-old bride did not speak to one another, Diana recalling on the tapes how absolutely exhausted they both were. So you're 19, you just Mm -hmm. got married, you're sitting there with the entire royal family at what I imagine is quite a lavish breakfast, even though it was called a breakfast, she said it was really lunch, Mm -hmm. and she... Like she says so many times, especially in the beginning, she's just trying to stay out of the way. She's just yeah. trying to sit there and not do something that she's they're going to hate her for or, you know, yeah. make a f- social faux pas or something like that. Because by this time, she had already gone to that party where she wore the black dress. Yes. And that was a big thing that it was a very plunging neckline. She didn't know how to hold her purse right. And luckily, Princess Grace of Monaco said, welcome it only gets worse from here right hold your purse in this hand stand this way turn your face this way because nobody gave a guidebook on mm-hmm. how to act or what to do and especially the footage of her walking down the aisle yeah and camilla is in the background you see this lady who may or may not have banged your now fixing to be husband the night before but at least has banged him in the last what 72 
maybe a week, last yeah. 72 hours to a week. She's been up in that recently. Mm-hmm. And you have to see this woman looking at you at your damn wedding. Mm-hmm. That is, a, again, another slap to the face. Mm-hmm. And especially the blessed, blessed naivete to think, yeah. well, we'll be married and it'll be different when we're married. Bless mm-hmm. her heart. The only thing that's going to be different is it's going to hurt even more. You know? Yes. Yeah. Going back to that no one trained her how to mm-hmm, behave. Mm-hmm. That's what Meghan Markle has said, too, yes. on the Oprah interview that, you know, she would have to Google what are the words to the to the national anthem? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, because no one said this is how you cross your legs. She said she remembers when she met Her Majesty the Queen and Harry said to her, do you know how to curtsy? Because it was a very, like, spontaneous, they didn't know they were going to be meeting her. And she was like, what are you talking about? I'm meeting your grandmother. He's like, you're meeting the queen. Mm-hmm. This isn't just my grandmother. Before that, she's the the queen. And they, she said she just, like, practiced trying to curtsy, you when know. Did she say Fergie right now? Yes. Said, okay, do a couple of them. Yeah. Let me make sure you're doing it right. But, but I think that's nice to have where Fergie was willing to help and Harry is willing to help and warn them. Yes. When you watch all the footage of Diana... She, except for Princess Grace, really, I did not hear her and and some of the staff and servants, but not even all the staff and servants. There was not a lot of, let me help you out. Yeah. I got you. I got you. Let me help you. It was, what do you mean you don't know? What are you going to wear that dress? Yeah. That's what he said to her. She said when she, in the infamous black dress, it was, it was taffeta and Mm -hmm. um, off the shoulder and she was 19. It was like, she said that when you know, she got engaged. She had one nice shirt, one nice pair mm-hmm. of slacks, one nice pair of shoes. And her mom and her had to go and buy, you know, like six gowns and all these outfits and everything. And she thought at 19, black was the smartest and classiest color. You mm-hmm. could wear. Imagine you're getting all dolled up. She said it was her first, you know, big engagement to go mm-hmm. out with him. And she was so excited. while they were engaged before they were married. Yes. Yeah. I mean, engagement as in a party. But yeah. Yeah. And she walks into his study, and the first thing he says to her is, you're not wearing that, are you? Mm-hmm. And she said, yes, I, I am. And he said, well, people in mourning wear black. And she said, well, I'm not a member of your family yet, because I believe isn't their color blue. That's the mm-hmm. royal color. So, you know, she was thinking, I'm playing it as safe as possible. Nobody can say anything about the color black. Basic black. Yes. And everyone shit their pants, even though she looked fly as hell in that dress. Oh, and her boobs look great because she said she didn't, you know, she said everyone else in the royal family had smaller chests and they wore more clothes that covered them up more. So there's a picture where she's getting out of the car and she's just leaning over to get out of the damn car. But at the time the photo was snapped, she looks very voluptuous. She looks fantastic. But, you know, that's plastered all over the tabloids the Mm -hmm. next morning and everything. And you think you look so great. Mm-mm. And then everyone just shits all over it. That makes me so sad. Yeah, that you get dressed up and look at yourself in the mirror. And first of all, your fiance tells you no. And again, judging her body, commenting on her body. She had no, from the time they started getting together, she had no bodily autonomy. Sure. The press is talking about her virginity. They're talking about her boobs. They're talking about how she looks, the color that she wears in a dress. And I get that it's an institution and there's respect for the institution. And I think that's... The undercurrent of all of it is that it's not done. We have these traditions. We have this. But I think what we're seeing now with the Harry and Meghan stuff, 
that institutions have to evolve with the people that they serve. Mm-hmm. And when you see, which we'll get into in part two, that everybody is like, fuck a bunch of royal families. We love Diana. She's the best. Prince Charles, who gives a shit? Diana's yeah. the best. You start to see you really got to cater to your crowd. And the crowd seems to love Diana, so let's maybe lay off what she's doing. Let's support her, mm-hmm. guide her, and utilize her as best we can. And that might maybe should have happened with mm-hmm. Harry and Meghan, too. Yeah. Just saying. It's a missed opportunity to get somebody is a great ambassador. It's like having a brand ambassador mm-hmm. and you... That's what they are. They're ambassadors and branded. What's surprising to me is that there isn't someone that it is their job when somebody joins the family to say, here's we're having a crash course on this is what you do, because I would think they wouldn't want to be embarrassed. As you say, you're my job is for you not to embarrass us. So let's let's hang out for a week. I'm going to go through everything with you. But that is not what happens. It's so surprising. Thrown in, thrown in the deep end. Just a royal family boot camp is what everyone mm-hmm. needs to get everybody on the same page, and then it should be then you're good. Somebody's somebody's job. Mm-hmm. Then you'd think you would think, think yes. In the afternoon, the newlyweds took off in another carriage. This time with Diana in a smart pink dress. The two were headed to the royal yacht to embark upon their honeymoon. With her eyes set toward the future, the bride attempted to remain positive, saying in Diana, in her own words. I just had tremendous hope in me, which was slashed by day two. God, day two. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, pretty quick. Pretty also, quick. Also, one of the horse guys, the not a half man, half horse, the guy on the horse escorting their carriage was Andrew Parker Bowles. Yeah. He's right up in oh, your they're, face. They're all, and that's Camilla's, I don't know if they were... Divorced yeah, they yet? were married by then. I, yeah, they were definitely married. I don't think they got divorced, actually, until no, 95. So, yeah, yeah, they were definitely married and had a kid or two yeah. at that point. Yes. And from what I have read, he knew about their affair. Mm-hmm. And again, like you were saying, everybody's just like, fuck whoever. This is all for appearances. We, You know, mm-hmm. we all got titles and we're all high society. We can all be adults. And, you know, I'm sure he, I think it did say he stepped out all the time so he wasn't mad yeah. about her having a relationship either it was all for appearances but sweet naive 19 year old diana has does not is she's not familiar with that world or that mm-hmm. way of life and she's within, just a, a lamb to the wolves yeah and it's just within this society that you have to accept it and that's the you ain't changing it i did appreciate in the same the span of i believe the same documentary there were two different royal biographers, and one said that Andrew Parker Bowles was the greatest lay in London, and everybody wanted to get a piece of him, and that Camilla <laughs> spent something like six years courting him, and eventually on year seven of the, the courtship, they got married. But then later on, I believe it was a different biographer, said, many people around London said Andrew Parker Bowles laid down his wife for the queen, <laughs> which wow. is a killer is a killer burn. Yeah. It's a really good... But he, like you said, he turned his head, and he... he it was part of his duty. Yeah. But I just can't imagine knowing your husband's banging around on Mm-mm. you. Seeing the bang, the recipient of the bang there the and the willing mm-hmm. cuck on the horse right by your carriage. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's it a lot. It sullies it. It's a lot. It. What'd you say? Said so it sullies it a little bit. <laughs> just a little. Yeah. 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 She also said that, you know, they're, they're going to this honeymoon. They, the yacht, I mean, it's like a princess cruise ship. It's, Mm-hmm. freaking like nice. a carnival cruise line he took eight novels with him yeah that's not a good sign <laughs> and she said sign. that you know 
they were were only had, you know, minutes alone together each day because even on your honeymoon, it's press, it's pictures, it's photo Work. shoots. Yeah. And, you know, then in your downtime, he's reading. And yeah. she said she was just exhausted. And for all the, you want to be tired on your honeymoon for all the mm-hmm. all the boning you're doing, not because or because you vomited on the Harry Potter ride. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's why. And she was just exhausted because they're just uh, it's just press circuit after press circuit. It's interesting, obviously, in the days before iPhones and digital BlackBerry planners and whatnot, mm-hmm. that they had these diaries and they yes. had to match their schedules up in diaries and plan when you would see each other. Yeah. Because it's that packed of a schedule. I- and then all the photos of Camilla flies out of his diary on the boat yes, on their honeymoon, that's what which she is said. fucking terrible. That they're on their honeymoon. They open up their diaries, which I think is what we would call planners, to mm-hmm. schedule something and two pictures of Camilla fall out of it. Yikes. And she said that they had an awful row, is what she mm-hmm. calls them. And that's how you're spending your honeymoon. Knowing that if he, all he wants is to be there with Camilla. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be there either. It's like, why are, is anybody here? Yeah. yeah. Nobody's it's, having fun. <laughs> nobody is having fun. The royal honeymoon story. <laughs> I'm going to write that autobiography. Or I guess, Again. what is it if you write it about somebody else? Biography. Oh, shit. Got Otto it. is the same as yourself, a, like real... autoerotis asphyxiation. Oh, I'm going to write that too. <laughs> it's a real stupid question. Oh my God. <laughs> Speaking of stupid questions. um, Tommy texted me this. This is totally has nothing to do with anything except for the fact that I'm now two for two on real stupid questions. Yeah. And then Tommy <laughs> texted me a picture of this really pretty national park. And he said, um, we should go to, and it was Montana, Mm -hmm. but I had been um, talking to Ella about um, Spanish, and I read it as uh, Montana, and I I texted back, oh, where's that? And he was like, (laughs) Montana? (laughs) like the state? (laughs) And now I got, uh, what is it called when you just write a book about somebody else? Yeah. <laughs> What's an autobiography not about yourself? <laughs> that would be a biography. It's an autobiography is when you write a biography about a car. Oh, yes. Is. Sweet. So, oh, man. We yeah. Know. Well, we know. this is uh, part one of, of our three parters. So I think before the next one, I am going to start binging the crown. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'm interested. I think season four is when she's introduced. So yes. we, might, we might skip ahead. Yeah. Uh, if you send a DM about my British accent, I'm not going to read it. So, <laughs> so far, unless it's, wow, what a delightful British yes. accent, then I will read it. Please no, only I know. send, only, I mean, that's just a rule of thumb in general. If you just only want to send nice DMs and emails, yes, that'd be great. that's if cool. <laughs> slide my DM, be cool. Uh, but it's obviously, I'm not a professional voice actress. Yes. <laughs> just trying my best. Yet. Uh, that's true. That's I think true. you did fantastic. And Thank you so much. the uh, the royal family, when they listen to this, will be thrilled. Yeah. I apologize for calling you a dick, Charles, but you were being a dick at the time. <laughs> that's true. Yes. And we're friends, so I can call you out. That's call you. I can call you out. Yeah. Well, we love providing Sinister Who to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating this show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. 
Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Rolling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including our Our Am I the Asshole and Our Relationship segments, where we read and discuss the best that Reddit has to offer. You also now have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We'll also be hopping on occasionally and hosting monthly Q&As where you can ask us all your burning questions. And the next one is this Saturday at 2 p.m. Central Time. March 27th. For our patrons not in the U.S., you now have the option of paying in pounds or euros if you still listen to the show after all my bad British accents. (laughs) This will save you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available, and those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood Christy. I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather? I'm on Instagram at Heather versus the World and on Twitter at MCK versus the World. I'm not sure why I had to think about that. <laughs> As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Brooke Shirley. Rebecca Arthur. K.A. Black. Kimberly Mormon. Amy Gilman. Catherine Richards. Krishanda. Grace Marillo. Hannah Bush. Katrina Vorman. Therese McLaughlin. Diana Andrade. Joyce Ferris. Debbie Dixon. Aaron Haberman. Rebecca Malloy. Isabel. Jaina Young. Tara Tish Wallace, the love of my life. Oh, you know this person? Mm-hmm. She we related to, to me? She should be, I bet, because she's as amazing <laughs> as you. We did Aww. improv together in college and have remained dear friends since then. Oh, love it. Thank you. Caitlin Thomas. Aaron Johnson. Mackenzie Salsey. Jody C. Daly. Sarah Claire Leal. Moira Allen. Sabrina Bays. Jamie Ricker Childy. Julia. Kira Enoch. Sarah Bichet. Kelsey Badger. Ellie Timmons. Christy Millay. Laura Sapport. Miranda. Hannah. Jenny Ledicote. Cameron. Hazel Hollingdale. Becky Visser. Caroline Brennan. Victoria Burt. Emily Aldice. Gabby Rios. Kaylee Johnson. Olivia Maxi, Tiara. Annika. Camille P. Margaret Cannon. And Juliana Kelty. 
We hope we pronounced everybody's names right oh, on that sorry. one. We had some that we weren't sure about, but we love you and we're sorry if we don't. We still appreciate you sincerely, and we couldn't do this without you. Thank you so much, especially during these trying times. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. <laughs> Sin and-